Hi everyone, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is October 25th, um, still 2023. This is like the longest October, I think, in the history of the world. Uh, the 10th day of Cheshvan, 5784. Cheshvan is known in the Hebrew calendar also as Mar Cheshvan, Bitter Cheshvan, because we have no Jewish holidays in there. And I think this year that, um, that name may be uh, means and means things in a whole different way. Um, but I'm happy to have with me on today's podcast, David Bogner, someone who I've known for a long time, longtime resident of Efrat, works in the defense and aerospace industry. And uh, I think just has like very smart, very incisive and very cool perspectives on a lot of what's going on now. And of course, dad with uh, kids on the front lines like mine are. So David, thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. All right. So among your um, interesting background, which I don't know if you want to share, uh, you spent some time in the American Navy. Yes, yeah, I spent. Yeah, I spent four years in the Navy um, and I was with the uh, the Pacific Fleet in uh, Hawaii and uh, and points further west um, aboard uh, a couple of different ships. And um, it gave me a, a little bit of a unique um insight into the way the United States projects power and projects influence. Um, and I'm seeing some of it now. Um, yeah, so that's why I want you to talk to you because everyone's talking about the aircraft carriers that are here and they're not just here alone. They're here with like 80 other ships and they're bringing more in. And it seems like some of the at American power we're going to be seeing or maybe at least the threat of it here in the Middle East in the next few weeks. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you because I think there are very few people now uh, living in Israel who can, who have that kind of background that you have and can give us that kind of an insight. Okay, well, first of all, the United States is a very good friend uh, to the United States in many ways, to but Israel. not in, uh, I mean, to, to Israel. Um, and I say many ways, but not in every way. Um, like every uh sovereign nation they have their own self-interest uh at the root of most of their policies and they do we do have a very close cooperative uh, relationship with them they do give us a tremendous amount of uh of support but um you want to you know that's also to a certain extent self-serving when everyone um when the people who don't like us uh talk about the fact that oh we, you know, we, you know, Israel is the number one recipient of of foreign aid from uh, from the United States, and and you know, why are we sending them all this money? And it could be better spent at home or better spent on closer friends. Or, and what they don't realize is that all of that military and financial aid that they give us is like they've given us coupons for the company store. Right. We can't spend that here. We can't spend that abroad. We have to spend that in the United States from, you know, we have to buy things from uh, American uh, uh, suppliers. And so they're basically, all of that aid goes back into the United States economy. In addition, because they are giving us this, this aid, they're expecting and quite, uh, you know, they do want a return on their investment. They get a tremendous amount of cooperation from us in terms of intelligence, not just in this part of the world, but we're obviously plugged into uh, pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, 
they get a footprint here in a region which is not particularly hospitable to them. Um, they do have some uh, ports that they can stop and do maintenance uh, in uh, in the Persian Gulf. Um, and they uh, they have a couple of places where they have airstrips they, that they can use. But Israel is a place where they can send their soldiers to train, where they can send their aircraft to train with with uh, really top uh, level uh, pilots of the of the caliber that they uh, they're training themselves. And most importantly, that they can use in an emergency as a staging area for anywhere in this part of the world, which allows them to save on fuel and and, and things like that. Um, now, there's been a lot of things in the news about one, first it was one and now two uh, carrier groups that were headed to this part of the world to show support for Israel. Now, show support is uh, an ambiguous term and you're not going to be seeing the Marines that are with this, attached to this battle group, um, coming ashore and uh, and fighting shoulder to shoulder with uh, the idea that will that will never happen. No, do um, we as Israelis we don't want that. No, we we don't we don't want that. But I just some people say, oh, they they carry so many combat troops with them. It's not you know, the, the the United States has no interest in putting boots on the ground anywhere. They spent a decade trying to extricate themselves from uh, from uh, ground uh, wars in this part of the world, and they they don't want to us. Even their aircraft, each one of these uh, two aircraft carriers carries between 70, 75 and 95 uh, aircraft, depending on how, if you're counting the helicopters as well, um, of different kinds, not just fighter jets, but also intelligent gathering jets. Um, uh, electronic warfare uh, aircraft, search and rescue, uh, anti-submarine warfare planes, um, and the uh, AWACS-type planes that can go and uh, actually coordinate large regional uh, air wars. Um, you can expect them to be flying cover, especially uh, in our northern sector uh, over uh, northern Israel, off the coast of Lebanon, off the coast of Syria, as a warning for Hezbollah not to uh, escalate any more than they already have. Um, they're not going to go on bombing runs over Lebanon, but they will um, help us engage. And by engage, it's important for people to, to understand that the, the aircraft carriers are not the ICAR. They are not the most important thing, even though they're big and impressive and, you know, their, their cities unto themselves. The most important systems that are that come with these battle groups is something called the Aegis Combat System, which is on board several of the cruisers that are accompanying the aircraft carriers. Now, this Aegis system, to give you an idea of what it is, it's a combat system that was developed in the 1980s to be able to manage a regional war and to track multiple targets, multiple missile systems, and to be a like an umbrella that will allow uh, a, a relatively small naval battle group to carry on a regional war. Um, to give you with an example- With integration with, let's say, planes and ground troops or just with, well, naval partners? With, 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 with everything, but particularly missiles. Um, and, and close-in weapon systems. It could be anything from a defensive uh, thing like the Vulcan uh, um, phalanx guns that are on board 
a lot of the weapons and they could bring these uh, several of them ashore as well. Um, they can be used there. Talking about vertical launch systems that can use that can um, use a wide range of uh, surface to surface, surface to air missiles. We're talking about Tomahawk cruise missiles, um, and these can all be managed simultaneously. To give you an idea, the kind of coverage anytime in the past that China has rattled its saber and made noises like it might want to invade Taiwan. The United States has moved a battle group with at least one of these Aegis systems there. One Aegis system is able to cover the entire island of, of Taiwan and its entire, and, and its entire uh, offshore economic exclusion zone. That's the kind of coverage that this has. So, so while America doesn't want to put boots on the ground, they're going to be, <clears throat> you think, maybe here to protect us, some kind of umbrella? I um, think that they're going to turn be into a regional uh, war. Well, I heard somebody that? say, I, I think I, I heard somebody say something which rang very true, which is that it's an honor to be hosting the opening ceremonies of World War Three. Wow. Um, that's that's not an exaggeration. I just got the um, chills. For, for, and it's not an exaggeration for the following reason. Region. If you've been paying attention to where people have been tra traveling and the statements that have been made by the key foreign leaders in the various hotspots in the world. Putin has not only been spending a lot of time in China, but mm -hmm. he's recently made it clear that he does not intend to honor any of the UN efforts to isolate Iran, that they intend to fully support Iran in any of their uh, endeavors and foreign uh, adventurism. That is a scary, scary thing. What a Russia-China-Iran access you're seeing here? Right. And while, while Putin was in China, that was when Biden chose to be here. And there was not the timing was not an accident. He does not particularly like Bibi, and he treats Bibi like a bad smell. Um, but he also knows that if he did not show support for Israel at this time and make it clear that he was willing to project power and project influence to counter that other axis, um, that there would be a power vacuum uh, in Asia, and he could not afford to, to even have a hint of that. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we have to, to be very clear that I don't think we're going to have a world war in the sense of the way World War One and World War Two suddenly had all of these countries lining up and 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 uh, sending you know hundreds of thousands of troops to to fight each other in trenches. But we now have all the world powers that are trying to carve up the the Asian and Near East regions into spheres of influence. And the fact that Iran is now firmly in Russia's sphere of influence and that China is looking like it may be in Russia's sphere of influence. That puts the United States back on its heels, and they are now rushing around, not to form a coalition, but to make sure that they have a lot of friends that are on, on their side uh, to counter that. They're making so we've sure had a that lot of European leaders come here as well. We've had a lot of European leaders, although, although it's not clear whether they're aligned with the United States or they're coming uh, independently. Mm -hmm. um, but the United States has been very, very 
uh, chummy with the Saudis and with uh, some of the uh, the Gulf states um, that were signatories to the uh, Abraham Accords to try and shore up those people because they're all terrified of a strong and unchecked Iran. Um, so there, there is... There are balances that are that are starting to to take place here in the region. Well, there's more um, information coming out about a Yemeni uh, the, from Yemen that they shot some serious missiles towards a lot. Yeah, that the that's Saudis the Houthis. and Americans shot down. Well, it's the I the I think it was mostly the Americans. I mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen anything that I the, saw that a report the, that Saudi Arabia took down one of the missiles. It, it could be, but you have to realize mm -hmm. that the Saudis are hosting American um, defensive missile systems. So whether they're manning them or the Americans, uh -huh. um, the uh, the result is that the the United States uh, shot shot them down at least by proxy. The fact that they were willing to to do that, they've put themselves in that uh, particular part of the world in the uh, in the Red Sea to to be able and and in the North Arabian Sea to be able to keep uh, uh, an eye on the uh, the Yemenites and anybody else. Um, shows that they are already on a war footing. Mm -hmm. um, the reaction time to be able to, to shoot down these missiles is, is, is seconds, uh, in some cases milliseconds. Um, and the fact that they were already turned on and turned in, you know, in, in the right, they were monitoring the right uh, areas, that means that they already had intelligence that the Houthis in Yemen were planning on getting involved. Um, the the good thing is there, you know, while there are civilians in every country, Yemen is not a particularly densely populated um, country, and the uh, the Houthis have a big problem um, that they're not particularly popular with much of the civilian population there. So they've set up their infrastructure fairly far from the civilians, uh, er the civilian areas in. Uh, in the capital city and uh, and elsewhere. So if we or the Americans or some combination of a coalition wanted to go in, it would uh, they would be done. There would be just a smoking crater in, in a matter of hours. And they are, of um, course, backed by Iran. Yeah, but <laughs> Iran is not going that. That's not the hill Iran is willing to die. on. Mm -hmm. they, they are not going to to go to war. Um, over uh, over the Houthis in uh, in Yemen any more than they went to war over Hezbollah when we were at war with them uh, um, in the uh, in the first or second Lebanon war. Um, they they like trying to have their proxies do their fighting for them, right. but they are the the Ayatollahs also understand that the majority, vast majority of Iranians are well-educated, cosmopolitan, really moderate people. Yeah. And they are one oh, misstep away regime. from... Yes. Right. They are one misstep away from uh, from the people um, taking the last round of demonstrations um, to the next level, which would be, you know, toppling the regime. I mean, for us in Israel, that is an excellent scenario if that would happen. If yeah. Iran but, kind of decomposed on its own. <laughs> Yeah, I sorry that I'm coughing here, and I'm just uh, I had pneumonia about a month ago, and it's uh, it's still lingering a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, I don't want to get too um, caught up in uh, in right. geopolitics, but I, I it's a good thing that the 
that the Americans are here. <clears throat> but like everything, there's a price to be paid for their presence and for their assistance. Um, the fact that we've announced that our uh, the top echelons of our army have announced that we are, at the, for the moment, delaying the start of a ground war um, for logistics and tactical reasons is a way of saying senior American military officers have arrived and are now lecturing us on what we should and shouldn't do. And they have to listen politely, but in the end, we're a sovereign nation and we will do what is necessary for us. But the the United States is, is aware of the fact that we are now starting a, a phase, um, a very carefully calculated phase that Hamas has set up where they took as many uh, hostages as possible. You know, they we have uh, intelligence from the terrorists that were captured that they were told that they would be paid ten thousand uh, dollars per uh, per hostage. So they really had uh, an incentive to get as many as possible. And now we're seeing the reason why because they now have a bank of hostages that they can trickle out in ones and twos. Because every time they do, they garner uh, favor. They look amazingly humanitarian it's, it's to, to the world. Uh, and if we were to attack them immediately on the heels of their doing something that appears magnanimous to the people who hate us, um, we would lose that last little whisper of, uh, of legitimacy that we have in, uh, in the world right now. Yeah, well, so there's so much focus on, you know, helping the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Personally, and this is my show, so I can say what I want. I'm not beholden to anybody. Um, I really don't care. I don't think we should let one grain of rice into Gaza until all the hostages are let out. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with, I'm with you. I saw an interview today. Um, the uh, the Israeli ambassador to London, uh, I, I always mess up her last name. I don't Chotoveli. know. She, I, I like her very much. I like her politics, but she was, it, she had a very long, mostly good interview, but she kept being asked a very specific question and she didn't have the right answer for it. She kept being asked, but what about this unfolding humanitarian disaster in, in Gaza? And mm-hmm. she kept saying, yes, but they did this. And yes, this is Hamas's fault. <sighs> and what she really needed to say is that every country is responsible. They're the primary and, and really exclusive responsibility of every government is to protect and provide for their population. And Hamas not only did that, but they cynically placed their military infrastructure in civilian places, in schools, in mosques, in hospitals. It's fairly... Uh, it's fairly an open secret that one of the biggest uh, command bunkers in uh, in the Hamas uh, mm-hmm. network is underneath the largest hospital right. in uh, in Gaza. It's it, but they do this cynically. And if she had just said this to this interviewer, it would shut down the last little whisper of yeah, yeah. But you are responsible. You're the ones that are attacking. And the bottom line is, if you're being attacked from within civilian areas, it's a double war crime. Not only are you being fired on indiscriminately and our civilian population centers 
are being targeted. That's war crime number one. But war crime number two is that all of those missiles and all of those weapons manufacturing facilities and all of the storage facilities and all of the tunnels are cynically and deliberately put in in civilian areas. That's a second war crime because you're using your own population as human shields. And she never got around to, to saying that. And as I yeah. said, I love her. I love her politics and I would love to see her in a very senior position. Um, I felt that when she was sent to, to London, it was, uh, it was partly because she's, uh, she's very uh, presentable and her English is excellent. And mm -hmm. you know, she has that B'nai Akiva cred <laughs> that will play nicely with the religious population um, or the, at least the traditional population uh, in, in London. But the, the bottom line is I'll, I also felt that she was being ostracized a little bit and sent away from the yes. uh, the center of, of things here. So I do hope that she she comes home. But uh, to get back to what I was saying mm -hmm. is that Hamas, I don't want to play the victim anymore. And I wish our spokespeople would stop saying, but this is the, the, the worst day in you know, loss of life in Jewish history since the Holocaust. And look what they did and they burned babies and they cut off heads and they, I, everybody who wants to know already knows that. Just one second. I need some flexible. Everybody who needs to know that information and mm -hmm. believes that information already knows. That right. is a talking point that needs to be left behind. We need to be in all of our official spokespeople, because I'm certainly not, you know, uh, an official spokesperson um, with my, you know, like 65 uh, friends on Facebook. Um, the They need to be talking at this point about, you know, directed specifically at this whataboutism. We knew it happens every time when Hamas attacks us. We knew the moment we would start to retaliate that the narrative would right. change to this humanitarian disaster. And you I'm sure you've seen the meme floating around that Gaza, is, isn't it weird that Gaza is running out of everything, right. fuel, water, uh, you know, everything except rockets? Right. That's not a coincidence. They use all of their foreign aid, millions upon millions of aid for War. weapons and, and to go to, to, and goes to the Swiss bank accounts. When Israel gets all this financial aid and military aid from the United States, we have to account. There, there are actual audits and every cent is accounted for. And for some reason, the world forgets about accountability when they open, open their checkbooks and they start writing these checks to the Palestinians. The Palestinians have received more in converted dollars than all of Europe received under the Marshall Plan at the end of World it's War incredible. II. And they have nothing to show for it. No. All of Europe was able, Europe was essentially destroyed. The reason the Europeans are so left and so anti-war is because literally the entire continent was leveled not once, but twice in the 20th century. And so they see all war as a crime and anybody who wages war is a criminal. And so we're, we're dealing with that mindset. And now we have to contend with the fact that they're, they're supporting the underdog or who they perceive to be the underdog.
We won't go into the fact that most of Europe are, are anti-Semitic and Arabists and, you know, to boot. But their support and have Muslim believe. populations in their own cities that they're afraid will rise up and already starting to riot against them. Right. Yeah. But the, all, with all those motivations aside, they think that if they by promoting ceasefires and by promoting, you know, a, uh, a, an end to hostilities before there is a decisive outcome that they're doing the world a good that they're preventing war and what they're actually doing is perpetuating war and making war more grisly and since since 1956 when the egyptians discovered this formula all of the arab world has discovered that you it doesn't matter you don't attack somebody with the intention of winning you attack somebody <clears throat> with the intention of drawing a response that is so absolutely horrible that the world can't stomach it anymore and will, they will step in and force a ceasefire. And at that point, two things will happen. You can declare vic victory and you're going to get scads of Money. financial aid. And mm -hmm. Such it, an it advantage to not care if your own people die. Right. And so they mm -hmm. have, well, it, it, it's, it, I don't want to get into theology, but it's also they think anybody who dies in in a war with the infidel is you know is going to a, a very good a very good place so they're not they're not worried about death in the same way that the judeo-christian world is is thinks about death um the most the most religiously fervent christian i know who believes with all their heart in 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 heaven and in salvation and that everything in the world to come is going to be better and the same with Jews they still don't want to you know they're not anxious to leave this world no and when you're when you're fighting an enemy who has not only no problem with it but actually sees an, an advantage in pushing a few hundred thousand of their own people across the threshold to whatever lies on the other side that's uh, that's a very difficult uh, adversary. See, if we're so, already speaking about the messaging that I would love to see the Israeli government putting out, another one would be that these people need to be resettled. If they're refugees, then they're refugees. And if everybody well, cares so much about them, then we should be allowed. They should be allowing Israel to destroy Hamas. Let's make the assumption that they're not all supporters of Hamas today. I'm not so sure. Try me again tomorrow. Okay, and so I'm talking about their so-called civilian population. But if Hamas is so is is making their lives miserable and Hamas occupies Gaza, they should be thrilled to let Israel let take care of Hamas. And in the meantime, or maybe permanently, these people should be resettled as they should have a long time ago. But you don't see anybody. I think someone told me Ireland or Scotland wants to take some in. Uh, I mean, can you blame other countries for not wanting to have no? This? Nobody's going to take them in. No. Um, there, there have been some studies recently. Uh, um, that I've seen uh, about uh, Denmark that uh, did a, uh, a study after they, they allowed, I think it was three or 400 Palestinians to come. And within, they, followed, they tracked them and they found that there was, uh, you know, 75% of them had uh, criminal records within three years and their children had, it, it, was, it, was, it was a disaster. But yeah. you use the word to resettle and that will never fly in the moder modern world since... Um, the the, the 19, late, late 1940s, when India and Pakistan 
um, had their partition and they had population transfers, which went horribly. There were absolute slaughters um, as the two populations went uh, uh, back and forth. Nobody is willing to talk about population uh, resettlement. It, it, it just, it's one of those things that is too adjacent to uh, ethnic cleansing and to uh, all of these prohibited things under the, under the Geneva Convention in terms of resettling um, populations. And you know, we're, we're always accused of being an occupying power right. who, who put our population into somebody else's land. You know, forget the fact that there was never a sovereign in Judea or Samaria. But as soon as we start talking about resettling, it'll never fly. What we can talk about is the idea of regional cooperation. You have to remember that Jordan and Egypt are both very much responsible for the so-called Palestinian problem, and they want to ignore their responsibility. Um, when when Begin made peace with, with Egypt, he wanted desperately for them to take Gaza along with the Sinai Peninsula. And they said, absolutely not. Tremendous we don't want, he made. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we, yeah. right. He said, we don't want, you know, the, the Egyptians said, we don't want that hornet's nest. And, yeah. you know, the, you know who, who can blame them? So it always Jordan, falls on us to take care of it. Right, right. And Jordan with its, you know, 80 plus uh, percent uh, population of Palestinians, um, they also are a very natural partner you know, we have a cold peace with both of them, and we should be talking with the pressure that the United States could, can apply because both Jordan and, and Egypt are huge recipients of mm -hmm. financial aid from, uh, from the United States, that there should be a situation, not necessarily of resettling, but where the areas that, that are today um, uh, called area... I forget which is area A, area C, but the areas in Judea and Samaria that are completely under the autonomy of the uh, a, Palestinian a Authority. A those, right. So those, in my mind, should now become Jordanian territory. Yeah. So not I in will terms disagree with you on there. Well, I think we need hear, to hear me toss out, hear me out. Not, not sovereign, not sovereign territory, but that since Jordan is essentially a pal already a Palestinian mm -hmm. state that those people would be able to have a Jordanian passport and travel through Amman, um, which, which is very convenient for them. And they would continue to have a certain level of autonomy if they want to. If you remember, Rabin, yeah. in, his, in his last speech before the Knesset, was very clear that he did not envision a Palestinian state. He envisioned a, a semi-autonomous entity that would be less than a state, that would have not have an army, right. army, that we or somebody else would be responsible for their defense, and that they would they would be sort of a protectorate. Well, There's so no but up what, until three weeks ago, I would have agreed with you on a lot of what you just said, but no more, because we see the proximity to the Jewish population is just too tempting for them. And even though we have tremendous walls and security, we saw exactly what happened three weeks ago and how all of that collapsed inside of like two hours and the slaughter that it led to. So I really am not interested in having any kind of autonomous Arab uh, Arab you know, entity anywhere near Israel at this point. Maybe I'll change my mind. I'm not so sure. 
But well, uh, right I'm not now, trying. I'm not trying to change your mind. Yeah. But I will. I will remind you that the the Palestinians that live in Judea and Samaria and the Palestinians who live in Gaza share very little in common culturally. Very. Even their language is different. They they yeah. speak a different dialect of of, of Arabic. They, they hate each other. And the, Right, and there's there's really there's no love loss. The 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 Palestinians of Gaza would rather intermarry with the Bedouin of the Negev when they need to you know bring brides in than with the Pal their Palestinian cousins in Judea and Samaria. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of antipathy there. It's a false nation right. anyway, just and, a motley crew of who knows who. And yeah. and the if we are allowed to to carry out. A, uh, a war to its logical conclusion, where Hamas is eliminated, at least to the extent that ISIS and Al-Qaeda were eliminated, mm -hmm. that they're eliminated to the point where they're irrelevant in terms of uh, geopolitics, then I, th I think that the Arabs that are living in Judea and Samaria will get a very clear message that they really don't have it so bad. They have a, a lot more economic opportunities. They have a lot more tourist potential than the than the Gaza Arabs. And and I know that there are hotbeds of, of terror in certain areas of Judea and Samaria, but I don't know. I mean, you've been here longer than I have, I think. Mm -hmm. But the the Arabs that I know in in our part of the uh, the, the the region are by and large what I like to call Joe Sixpack Arabs. They really want very similar lives to what you and I want. And they're not particularly political. They're not particularly interested in, in, uh, in attacking us. And we know stories upon stories that those who were well-known to us and well-liked and part of our community in terms of, you know, they worked for the Kablamim who worked in our, you know, who live in our community and they shopped in our in our towns and used our, our medical facilities, that the ones who did carry out Piguim were basically put in a position where their families were threatened by, uh, by uh, either the Palestinian Authority, the PLO, or by Hamas. Yeah, but and, it doesn't matter uh, anymore because these Joe six packs who might be really, really nice people. Have you gotten a letter from any of them this week saying, hey, Hamas just like totally discussed us? I haven't had to stop my car because there's a pro-Israel demonstration saying, hey, this is a terrible thing that the Hamas did. This doesn't speak for us. This doesn't speak for Islam. So even if 95% of them are just amazing human beings, it doesn't matter because the 5% of them that aren't are the ones who control the show. And so I may feel sorry for them and I may say, hey, in a different lifetime, they could have just had a great life. But right now, my feeling is it's us or them. And because they are not fighting against that authority, and I don't think that they really care about the Jews. Like, they've taken advantage of us, our medical care. I mean, my daughter is now in Sharetzetic Hospital because they're probably going to have to induce her. It is packed. Sharetzetic Hospital has a lot of Jewish doctors. It is packed because <clears throat> a lot of women don't want to go to Hadassah because there's a lot of Arab doctors and nurses there. And now they're afraid that they're not going to get the proper care. So my feeling right now, and again, I could be incredibly cynical and just reacting to what's happened in the last couple of weeks. And maybe at some point I'll calm down. But right now the onus is on them 
them to prove to us that they are decent human beings. We have done virtually everything that a civilized society will do to make life better for them. We have given away land. We have left hothouses. We have done given them money, set up jobs, whatever it is that they could have created in Singapore. And instead, what we got were a lot of beheaded babies. And I am going to bring that up because the images are still in my mind. So right now, okay. the burden of proof is on them to prove to me that they deserve the right to live anywhere in proximity with Israel. And I realize that I'm very emotional about this, but the more that I have learned and studied and interviewed people over the years, we need to start speaking Middle East. We need to start understanding that we're not in Europe and we're not in the United States, but we're among Absolutely. people who honor and shame, not practicality like having a flushing toilet and education and good medical care. It is a much bigger picture when you want to throw in fanatic jihadist Islam, you have one big mess. And I am not willing anymore to have any Israeli Jew or any Israeli at all sacrificed on the altar of their confusion. They have a lot of work to do in their society. And I think we learned the very hard way that we need to protect ourselves and if it doesn't work out so nicely for them and a few of them like don't eat in gaza for a couple of weeks because they took old ladies hostage then that's just too damn bad because i think the line here has been drawn between evil and good in a way that it has perhaps never been drawn before and i'm not willing to give them the benefit of the doubt at least not now okay and i and i agree with some of what you've said, but I want to point out a couple things sure. that may or may not have, have escaped your uh, your notice. One is that over the past 20 years, when there have been terrorist cells that we get intelligence of, of, of something actionable, that you know there, there's something about to happen, or that we've, we identify a weapons storage or manufacturing facility, we generally would send in our troops to do really surgical strikes because we understood, just like in, in Gaza, that these are generally in, in Shem or in other places in very densely uh, populated uh, uh, areas. And over the past few weeks, the past month, we've been sending in drones, we've been sending missiles. Um, and that's, that, is a, that is a paradigm shift that is not lost on the Arab population, mm -hmm. that we are not going to risk our soldiers' lives anymore wandering through these narrow alleys um, with a, a target on their back, that if they right. allow these people to operate from within their areas, that there is going to be a much larger response. And when we do find out about these areas, and we invariably do find out about them, it's because we have a lot, a lot of actionable intelligence that's coming from the Arabs themselves. You and I don't agree with the bad behavior of the lunatic 1% or even half percent uh, on the far right or far left Not even uh, that of much. the country. Right. It's, it, but, but, they, they can do terrible damage, not just from a public relations standpoint, but to, to the point where they can affect our standing in, uh, in the eyes of some of our closest friends. And I don't know about you, but I haven't gone out to demonstrate against them. So it's hard for me to, to say to the Arabs, well, you guys now all have to pick up and move because you have not, I have not seen you demonstrating. I have not seen you out in the streets protesting against Hamas. 
And so from I'll I'm just, share something I'm, I'm, with you that was on Channel 14. My husband saw it last night. He was telling me Channel 14 is is one of the, is the news station that is is giving it, at least in my view like a better analysis and having different guests on than the usual drivel that we that we get here. Um, they they interviewed a he's now a religious Jew, but he used to be a Muslim uh, who grew up in Jaffa within Israel. And he was talking about the education he got. And this is within Israel already from the age of two singing <clears throat> Palestinian songs and, you know, being anti-Israel. And he he was asked during the course of the interview why the Israeli Arabs have not risen up right now, because we know that they have a tremendous amount of weaponry. Close to 200 of them have been killed in internecine violence in the last year within the Arab communities, within Israel. Right, they have a different indoctrination. Yeah. They have and a very different education. But what did he say? He said they're scared of Ben Gvir. They're scared of the no. police commissioner. So now you and I, I have not been thrilled with his behavior, to say the least. I didn't vote for him in the last year. But it turns out that it's irrelevant that you and I aren't thrilled with him because they are afraid of him. And because of that, they have stayed quiet. So I think as much as we have lived here for a long time and are uh, from both sides now, like semi-understand the Middle East, mm -hmm. still don't understand it completely. And it was fascinating to hear that from someone from the inside you know, of the Arab world speaks fluent Arabic and knows what's going on there, that perhaps what we perceive as not somebody that, again, I would vote for, um, they they are afraid of, and maybe that's where we need to go. Maybe we need to be I, I, I disagree I with you completely about that. Ben Gvir appeared on the political landscape 10 minutes ago, and the Israeli Arab population has been there is I, I, it's not a paradigm shift it's not a uh, it's not a, a tidal wave of support but the Israeli Arab population while there's still a lot of people who identify as Palestinians there that there are more today who are pro-Israel than there ever were and you actually gave the reason for that in what you said about uh, five minutes ago when you were comparing the education. That Arabs in the Palestinian Authority get, which is indoctrination from no. This the was age in Jaffa. This no, was an Israeli school that he got. I understand. I understand that, but I'm talking about the singing a Palestinian song. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about that. That 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 doesn't bother me. What oh, bothers me is when the actual. Uh, it doesn't bother me. Everything. I have. I have different levels of right. of being bothered. Tolerance what bothers me is the <laughs> curriculum, the organized. Everything from first grade uh, up in the Palestinian Authority curriculum in their education system is incitement to murder. They are actually building kids yep. who are programmed, brainwashed to to think that they're they're better off being a shaheed than they are right. being a, a doctor or a lawyer. It's and tragic. That, it's really tragic. But but within the Israeli Arab population. The fact that a so many of them stay when they have they have access to the same education opportunities that the Jewish and Druze uh, Israelis do, but the Muslims, in, unlike many of the uh, the Jewish uh, doctors and lawyers who get their degrees, there's a, a huge brain drain of you go to any hospital in in the United States and you're going to hear an Israeli accent. Mm -hmm. That the doctors, uh, uh, you know, they they basically realize they can make a hell of a lot more there. Right. 
the, okay. the Arabs so are this saying, is a very sensitive spot because my one of my sons is a doctor in America because his place here in Israel, which he should have had, was given to an Arab because they get 20% of our medical spots. So that is a very sensitive spot with me. He does not want to be there, okay? But after okay. doing the army and serving this country, th that's what happened. So this, there's a lot of things that we need to fix in this country. And one of them, I think, is that we need to give precedence to the people who do things for this country, who serve in the army, who are loyal to the country without, you know, may have their arguments and we argue all the time. And but but the bottom line is to understand what a special place Israel is, who have the temerity at, to stand up and say so and aren't afraid to say so. And I think that we will see what happens on the many days of reckoning that we're going to have when this war ends on every single level in the society. But I think and mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are thinking very deeply. We're not publishing it and putting it out right now because we have to focus on other things like our kids coming home whole and safe and everything else. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of currents swirling around in the Israeli society. And I hope that this is not the same country in a few months time than it has been beforehand because we have to get some of our priorities straight. Mm -hmm. and, uh, well, I, I will I will point out one thing Thanks. about uh, what you were you were just saying that there is validity to what your 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 son said about the uh, uh, the fact that uh, they're they're and I don't you know, like to use the term um, you know um, I'm forgetting my my English now but uh, there there are there are absolutely spots set aside for uh, for affirmative minorities action. affirmative action thanks mm -hmm. that, that's what I was looking for however you probably noticed over the past three to five years that the entire country is being torn up to create new and better roads because yeah. it took the, the it took the government way too long to realize that they were a decade or more behind in terms of infrastructure the, in general the infrastructure mm -hmm. was not able to support the affluence and the number of cars that are on the road and even when they finish all these construction process process they're still going to be behind there's also a huge population bubble that has not been taken into account. And the next construction boom you're going to see is in hospitals. They want people to move to the north and to the south, but there are not enough hospitals right. to support them. We saw during COVID that there was just they didn't have enough beds for, for a yeah. fraction of the people. They and need to invest with, in that too. And, right. And with the construction of eight or ten new hospitals there is going to be a doctor shortage. And this there already is, the, is a doctor it, shortage. Right. But it go it comes in, in ways. So you can't on one hand say that there are no jobs for Jewish doctors, but yet there's going to be, or if you say now there already is a doctor shortage, that those two states Well, I know because don't, my don't husband's work. a physician and he's in his sixties mm -hmm. and most of the doctors are not young. Okay, we've got a population now of nine million. We had a lot of Russians who came at the end of the 80s and 90s who were physicians. They are now out of the system. That Israel didn't train more doctors, and they were 45 in 1990. So do the math. They're no longer in the system, and we have a critical okay, doctor shortage. I'm, I'm telling you that you, 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 no matter how you feel about it, that in 10 to 15 years, we're going to see a lot more Arab doctors for the simply for the simple reason that they're staying, and too many of the Jewish doctors are getting their medical degrees, finishing their residencies, and then going abroad and uh, to, to, to actually make some some decent money because medicine is not a business here. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a profession. But it's actually as a civilian, an amazing system. 
Okay, you can go into the oh, hospital. I, I my daughter had a million tests. Not one bill, nothing. It's all going to be covered no, I, by our taxes. I, it's incredible. You will not. You will not find a bigger fan right. of our system. I think it's the perfect, perfect balance of capitalism and socialism because mm -hmm. you have socialized medicine, but you have four different coupot that compete with one another for members. So they have to maintain right. a, a high level of customer satisfaction. Yeah. And, and so, because uh, as soon as I, if I go from Maccabi to Mujahid right. or to Klalit, Maccabi loses the money that yeah. comes along with yeah. me. And so they have a vested interest in making right. sure that I have at least a minimum level of satisfaction. Right. So, so it's a I, wonderful, it's a wonderful system. And I, so first of all, we should never need it. And I'm glad you got over your pneumonia and I'm glad to end the podcast on a positive note because there's a lot of things that are upsetting a lot of us these days. And that isn't one of them. Um, and, and really also the tremendous, tremendous altruism and uh, of the, of the people of Israel is just not to be believed. What we're seeing every single day is just really mind boggling. Um, okay. You know, whatever we can do on the home front, and uh, and help people. And we have close to a quarter of a million refugees now from the South and the North <clears throat> who are being housed all over the country. And it's endless what people are doing for them. I'm on some lists of volunteers and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Right. Um, I, 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 with your I permission, I'd just like to circle back to sure. the, the current situation that, that we're in, just okay. to say that I agree with you, the altruism that people are putting aside their political and religious differences to stand shoulder to shoulder with uh, with people that they they would have spit at you know a month ago and that in in itself is fantastic people everybody wants to do something that you know if in the last uh war there was a hundred percent milouim response there's been actually people who weren't called up are are, right. are coming and putting on their uniforms and say i i need to do something and everybody wants to do something and that's wonderful I would also urge everybody to not have a rage response, even though we're all brimming with mm -hmm. rage and anguish at this attack, that it is in our interest to launch a ground war at a time of our choosing. Exactly. The, now, it is economically crippling for us to have to have these three or four hundred thousand reservists standing by but they're not standing by they're training yes. they're getting briefings they're 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 honing skills that may have atrophied with not being not having budgets mm -hmm. uh, for for too long to to do the training the the equipment is being uh is, is showing up and this is something else i love that people are are sending military <laughs> equipment from abroad and Don't. that everybody is trying to the fact is that the by and large, the the equipment that is needed is there and is given to the to the correct okay. soldiers as they as they need it. If you want to support some support Magandavidadom, support Zaka, support right. the Hatsala, support support these organizations who have gone through seven or eight years worth of supplies in the last three weeks. Um, these organizations are in dire need, and it's not as sexy as buying a a bulletproof vest, but we have bull bulletproof vests. They, mm -hmm. Every combat soldier who needs a, a bulletproof vest that's level four has one. So I would say that, the, but I, I want to circle back. Do not be pounding the drum saying we need to go in and don't hold us back. 
Right. I agree we with you. Every we day go that we yeah. take out the tunnels and take out the locket, the rocket launchers is a day that when our soldiers do go in, they will be much less under threat. And so and as also, a mother and a father, you and I see that very, very clearly. Stop with the right. impatience. And, right. And it also creates mission fatigue on the side of our enemy. Every right. day that they have to wait and wonder which direction we're coming coming from where it's going where the fact that we're leveling large areas of the northern gaza strips gives us more places we can come in from the sea we can come in from the south we can come in they they don't know where we we're going to be coming in and they will not be able to set the kind of traps that were set for us in southern lebanon in the second lebanon war where we had to come in and through very specific geographic features we had no other choice and they were trapped so Every every day that they have to wait and wonder is a day where they are becoming fatigued and they don't have the ability to come out and train and they don't have the ability to, to resupply their stocks that are being destroyed in these airstrikes. So just be patient. Oh, and if their oxygen is running out, oh, I feel really mm-hmm. bad. But I, I think you make an excellent point is that people have asked Israelis, do you want revenge? And I think the answer is no, we don't want revenge. We want justice. And there's mm-hmm. that, there's a world of difference in those two things. And okay. we can take strength from the fact that that a coalition force was able to reduce both ISIS and Al Qaeda to international irrelevance. They still right. they, they still exi- exist mm-hmm. like a, like a club, but they right. they have no more regional or international influence. Mm-hmm. That we've seen that it's possible is a reason to consider com- compiling if not an international coalition to fight shoulder to shoulder with this, which I don't think is very uh, likely, to mm-hmm. at least get a coalition of people who are willing to support us in a very targeted, very efficient elimination of Hamas as a viable military force. Okay. David, thank you so much for your insights for and experience me. and for explaining a lot of things to my listeners. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network with thanks to Tabitha and to Ben and to all of you. And I know a lot of you like to pray. Not the time to stop now. Take care, everybody. And goodbye for now.